Welcome to Stories from the Park, a Heritage Park podcast. Hi, I'm Dominic Terry, Communications Manager. And I'm Kasaya Quill, Chief Curator here at Heritage Park. We are located on Treaty 7 land in Calgary, Alberta, a place where visitors come to learn about the history of all those who have gathered here and where Indigenous people proudly share cultural traditions and tell stories about their rich heritage, history, and attachment to the land. In this two-part episode, we're going to explore Black history on the prairies, when Black people came here, where they went, what they worked at, and how they socialized, and talk about the links to Heritage Park's historical village. Our guest is Cheryl Fogo. Cheryl is an author, documentary film director, screenwriter, and playwright. She's a longtime researcher and voice for Black pioneers in Western Canada, and has won several awards for her latest documentary, John Ware Reclaimed. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us today to chat a little bit about Black history in Southern Alberta. It's a pleasure. So, Cheryl, when we talk about Black history in Western Canada and the prairies, kind of what, what time period are we talking about? What's the earliest that we started to see Black settlers? Um, well, a couple of things. One, I tend not to describe Black people who were early arrivals here as settlers. And even into contemporary times, I don't have a word yet to describe mm-hmm. our place here, but because um, almost all people of African descent who were here prior to the mid 60s and 70s arrived in this part of the world as descendants of people who were brought here against their will. Mm. Um, we don't think of or describe ourselves as settlers because there's, it's, it's just a different, um, a different kind of place that we occupy here. And when I say we don't, many of us don't, some, some black people do, you know, claim that title of settler, but it doesn't sit uh, exactly right in my bones. So when I talk about um, early Black presence here, it goes back to around the same time as European settlers came. So the, the first recorded presence of Black people on the prairies goes back to the late 1700s and uh, and continues into the early 1800s and late 1800s and then also includes the black migration of 1910 to Saskatchewan and Alberta from which I am descended. My ancestors were enslaved in America. We have lost track of our exact provenance from Africa so we don't know exactly where in Africa we're from. We only know that we were taken from there um, against our will, brought to North America and enslaved. And then, as is the case with millions of other people of African descent, tried to make our way and exist in this part of the world uh, as best we could. Great. That's so much to think about. Um, Yeah, so many things to think about. So you mentioned this um, migration of 1910. Uh, What what was drawing people to come here then? Most of the Black people who came, and there were between 1,500 and 2,000, so it was a more sizable number than what most people would think of. Most of them came from Oklahoma. 
the reason they were in Oklahoma to start with is because Oklahoma was not a state prior to 1907. It was divided into two territories. One was called the Indian Territory and one was called the Western Territory. So people who had been enslaved in the southern U.S. gravitated to the territories because they could own property, vote, um, had a much more extensive sort of menu of human rights Mm. than what they had in the places where they had been enslaved and and had been trying to, to carve out a living after that. So I'm talking Texas, Alabama, um, Kansas, uh, just South Carolina, North Carolina, all, all those places. Um, people came from those states and went to Oklahoma before it was Oklahoma. When it became Oklahoma, they began to experience a level of violence and brutality that was unprecedented even in their lives. When the state of Oklahoma was formed, Black people living there began to experience really unprecedented violence, and they lost all those rights that they went there for in the first place. At exactly the same time, the Canadian government was advertising in Southern newspapers for American farmers to come up to the prairies. The Canadian government had a colonial project in mind to clear the land of the indigenous people, move them off of the land and into the reserves, and to, for lack of a better term, they wanted to fill up that space with other people for a variety of reasons. Now, they did not have Black people in mind, but Black people started paying close attention to those advertisements that they were seeing because of the brutality that they were experiencing in Oklahoma. It really became quite an unlivable situation. So these advertisements caught the attention of African-American farmers and their families. And they, many of them were very spiritual people. They were religious people who believed that there was a place for them in the world, that God had a place for them, that, that there was a promised land somewhere. And they saw the juxtaposition of those two events, the, the formation of the state of Oklahoma and these, um, advertisements they were seeing from Canada as a kind of a sign. And that is why in such large numbers, um, people fled those experiences and um, sought what they hoped would be a better life in Canada. So you say that uh, they, the Canadian government didn't have black people in mind to, to come here. Were there, were there barriers for them to come here, unlike there would have been for, say, white uh, European settlers or people from Eastern Canada to move out this way? Absolutely, there were barriers. Um, immediately upon the arrival of people in numbers larger than one or two, uh, the government took notice, uh, the, the people at the borders took notice, and um, there was an immediate outcry against their arrival. So between 1910 and 1912, that was the sort of the the largest numbers of people that came. By the time 1912 rolled around the Canadian government, in collaboration with other forms, other institutions, um, stopped that migration. And it was probably another 50 to 60 years before 
larger numbers of Black people started to come here again uh, because uh, immigration laws had started to look at whether you could actually discriminate against people based on their race or skin color. Uh, yeah, so it was really sad. They had hoped to build a society that would allow them to use all their talents and make contributions and be safe, live in safety, educate their children, be able to um, live on the land. And the numbers just, you know, they, they were not able to have the subsequent waves of immigration that would have helped to build uh, communities that other white European communities were able to build when they came in that same sort of migration, but then had subsequent subsequent waves. Their friends and family kept coming and building larger communities that are still active and thriving today. But we don't have that because um, beginning with an order in council that was drawn up by Wilfrid Laurier's government in 1911, it's it's called the deemed unsuitable document in which they describe people of African descent as not being suitable, essentially not being desired. Um, that immigration was they they used a whole bunch of different kinds of tricks and ways to quell that migration. So that's unfortunate. Fascinating. We're going to go a little bit further path back that from 1910. Um, you are someone who knows a lot about John Ware and have studied his history extensively. So we were kind of wondering if you could tell us a bit more um, about uh, who might have worked with John Ware, the, the cowboy, um, and if there were certain challenges uh, that he would have faced. Did other um, black cowboys join him? Um, tell us a little bit more about his experiences. Sure, I'm happy to. Just, you know, for listeners who don't know who John Ware was, he was a black cowboy who arrived in 1882 in what we now call Southern Alberta. It was not Alberta yet at that time uh, on the first big cattle drive that came up into the region. And he stayed for the rest of his life. He died in 1905, but he lived in in Alberta for the rest of his life. Um, yes, there were other black cowboys here at the time, there were other Black people who were living here before he came. So some people mistakenly believe John Ware was the first Black person to make his home in Southern Alberta. And that's not the case. He was just the, the most famous, the best known. Uh, and there are lots of reasons for that. He was incredibly talented. He was just one of those genius people who can do everything and figure their way out. And know how to surround themselves with the right kind of people. He had a lot of challenges of racism, but he also knew how to find allies and to work with those allies to try to keep at bay and keep at a distance some of the, the more extreme uh, racism and barriers that he would have encountered. The, there was a, a Black woman living in Pincher Creek named Annie Saunders, who I believe was probably one of Alberta's first female entrepreneurs, just not one of Alberta's first Black entrepreneurs, but first female entrepreneurs. She had a very active presence in Southern Alberta before John Ware came. There were other cowboys. There was a cowboy named Billy Welsh and Green Walters. Um, there was Jim Whitford. 
Tom and Louis Robinson. Uh, there were many. And these are just the ones that I know of who are named. One of the things I would like listeners to understand and visitors to Heritage Park to understand is that the Black presence here is always much larger than what we think it was. And we get these little snippets about people like Green Walters, who was a ranch hand and cook. He was like a, a roundup cook. Fairly well known. He also filed for a homestead not too far from John Ware's Millerville place, but he froze his feet in, in that first year and, and then he left Alberta and it's kind of hard to trace where he went after that. The numbers were many. Black cowboys were very common. And uh, so I often will read a little snippet about, for example, John Ware in, was he in Calgary? And he saw a black man sitting on the step of a building and he went over and spoke to him and, you know, learned more about his story. And I don't know who that was. It might be someone whose name I have read in a different place and they just weren't named in that instance. But there were it was not uncommon for black cowboys and people in other professions to be around in John Ware's time, both before, during and after. When they came and largely after John Ware in, in the 1910 uh, migration that you were talking about earlier, did they sort of settle around the the centers of Calgary uh, or did they sort of uh, spread themselves out? What was their, where, where did they go? That's a great question. There were five very specific locations that they went. Uh, I'm talking now about the Black Migration of 1910. They created four small black communities in Alberta and one in northern Saskatchewan. And they were very connected to each other, but quite quite spread apart. So mm -hmm. it's really interesting when you travel. I traveled recently to the Keystone uh, Breton area by car. And it's a lo very long journey by car. And you can only imagine how long it would take people to get there from the other places where their friends and, and perhaps family members were living, like Amber Valley is east of Athabasca, which is, you know, quite a distance from, from Keystone, Breton. And um, they remained a very close communication with each other. Now, having said that, many, many of those people from that migration also went to to places that were near to those communities, but not right in them. So there's a place called Paxson, I think is how it's pronounced, not too far from Amber Valley, where some of the Black people lived. But absolutely, to your question, Dominic, did people also go to the major centers? Yes. And I also have learned, the older I get, the more research I do, that they came into already existing Black communities and institutions. So there was a very active community of Black people in Calgary already by 1910, before my ancestors came, called the Colored People's Protective Association. Those were Black people who had been here, you know, for years before my people came up. So the connections to the very, very early arrivals, the fur traders, the cowboys, uh, various other entrepreneurs, those continued in relationship with people like John Ware and his family, his children. And then um, 
my ancestral community was in close community with those people who were in Edmonton and Calgary and Lethbridge. Lethbridge had quite a, a well-established Black presence as well. Um, most of the Black communities became connected to the railroads because many Black men found employment on the railroads. Um, but those connections, you can draw the threads and you can see the links between my 1910 ancestral community and those communities going back to the late 1800s, mid 1800s, early 1800s, and late 1700s. So thinking about uh, that tie to the railway, um, I think that's a natural kind of lead into thinking about uh, Black history at Heritage Park. Um, right. so there's a number of sites you've identified specifically as having really good links uh, to stories that we can tell here on the park. And one of those is uh, Shepherd Station. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that's a great place to start because Black people traveled up on the trains. So part of the journey of, of my ancestors took place on trains. Um, they arrived at the train station and border crossing at Emerson, Manitoba. That's one of the, the places where it was kind of a, you know, if you look at a map, it's kind of a dot from out which Black migration spread across the prairies. And so they would have arrived on trains and then later on, Black men found employment on CN and CP rails. And uh, there was a history of Black Pullman porters even in the U.S. before they came up. So this was, this was kind of a natural place to seek employment. And because Black people traveled on trains and they knew that they could find Black people at the train stations because they worked there, um, those train stations became real hubs of Black community. So uh, at Shepherd Station, Shepherd, Alberta, was the place where John Ware's in-laws opened a homestead shortly after they arrived in 1887, I believe is when they came. Uh, or it might have been 1889, but somewhere in there, late 1800s. Uh, <clears throat> They, they set up a homestead at Shepherd, and they would have arrived on the train. Okay. So you and I, Kasaya, have talked about um, how Shepherd Station itself, the way it looks on Heritage Park right now, was not what the Lewis family would have seen when they first came. It was a flag stop. There were quite a few flag stops that were railroad stations around Alberta, but that would have been their station. Whenever they had company coming from out east, and that did happen, they had relatives that they left behind in the Toronto and Southern Ontario area from which they had come. They would have arrived at, at Shepherd Station. John Ware would have visited them originally in Shepherd when they were homesteading there. So although I put Shepherd Station in a kind of what I call Black adjacent history, because I don't have any actual stories where the Lewis family wrote a letter and said, we met Tom at Shepherd Station, that kind of thing. Um, I don't put it as directly connected to Black history on in Heritage Park as I do some of the other locations. I say that, though, with absolute confidence that it is connected to Black history 
just because of the history of Black people and trains and train stations and because of the Lewis family con connection at Shepherd specifically. There are several other places on the park that are connected to Black history. And as I said early on in our conversation, I would love it if Canadians would begin to understand that Black history is has a very long and deep presence and that there are many places that we know there was black direct black history and we can talk about some of those there were other places where there was this kind of black adjacent history where i'm confident that black people would have been worked and lived there's also what i call in my mind and in my research presumptive black history that I hope people begin to take in as part of how they visualize Canada. Because we can assume if we know that there were Black people living in, in Vulcan, as we do, um, we can assume that they visited the Vulcan ice cream parlor, right? And uh, my uncle's family lived in Barron's, Alberta for many, many years. We can assume that they played pool at the snooker parlor, even though I don't have stories that I can share yet, where I can say, oh, yes, my uncle told me they went to play pool that day and X, Y, or Z happened. I want people to understand that you could walk through Heritage Park. And honestly, there is almost no space where you could assume that no Black person has ever been. So my hope through through talking on podcasts like this one is to help people know the direct Black history, which we'll talk about, the uh, adjacent Black history, but also be able to walk through those spaces as I do and visualize a Black person sitting in the Vulcan ice cream parlor in 1930, uh, just because our history is so long and deep. It's much, much bigger. Our presence has been much larger than what people have assumed. So I want Black people to walk through Heritage Park and see themselves there. And I want everybody else to walk through Heritage Park and know that we were there. That's my aim. <laughs> <laughs>